We're back at it again, and I'm so excited to have one of the top leaders in athletics joining us on the podcast. Brian Maggard is the athletic director at the University of Louisiana. He's doing some great things with his program, and we're elated to be able to explore his path and his vision. Brian, thank you for coming on. Coach, it's my pleasure. I really appreciate you inviting me. I put this podcast together to have discussions with leaders across the nation. And, and since we started, we've had the opportunity to share and grow with conference commissioners, with head coaches, with athletic directors. Uh, so so it's, it's going to be a pleasure to, to be with you for a few minutes. Now, I know that you have a connection to Kansas State, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But your team is playing very well right now. It's a tough loss last night, but man, those guys are, are, are really playing well, playing hard. When I was at Mississippi State, I had the opportunity to compete against Coach Napier's team, and okay. it was a hard-fought battle. So to me, honestly, it's no surprise that, that, that his team has had the success that they've had. Well, I think you hit the nail right on the head, and, and that the, the attributes go to Coach Napier. He has certainly, in a very short amount of time, built a quality program, and he's doing it the right way, in my opinion, you know, from the ground up. It's, it hasn't been a quick fix by any means. He's recruited at a very high level, he and his staff. Uh, they're, they're mentoring, leading, and coaching young men at a high level, and we're starting to see the fruits of that labor. I actually saw it last year with 11 wins, the most in school history. Um, to your point, a tough one last night. We're licking our wounds a little bit this morning, but uh, as, as Coach told the team in the locker room after the game, you know, how we respond to this adversity, you know, will reveal a lot about our character. And I do believe that this team has a very high character level. Right. Now, now you've had a great career as an athletic director in administration. You had stops at Florida State and spent over 20 years at Missouri. But then you've also, like I talked earlier, you also spent time at your alma mater, Kansas State. Talk to us about your journey, which is a special one, a journey from being a student manager to athletic director. And, and at what point did you know this was the path that you wanted to take? Sure. Well, I think within our industry, Van, you know, my, my path was a little non-traditional in the sense that I come from the internal side of the administrative house as opposed to the external side. And certainly in this industry, a lot of sitting ADs, you know, were external um, administrators, development, um, you know, marketing, things of that nature. But uh, to your point, I, I got my start. I put my, I guess I put my foot in athletics uh, as an undergraduate at Kansas State when I worked as a student equipment manager. That really increased my appetite to work in athletics. At the time, I thought professional sports was the route I wanted to go, front office. And when that didn't pan out, really had a great opportunity uh, presented to me ultimately by Bill Snyder, you know, the former head coach and I really, I give Coach Snyder a tremendous amount of credit for my being here right now um, because he uh, was the one who took a chance on me as a graduate student when I was working on my master's at Kansas State uh, to, to kind of fill in in an academic advising role for his football program and really supported my candidacy for the full-time position. And lo and behold, almost 30 years later, you know, here I am sitting in the athletics director chair. But uh, him and then and certainly, I don't know if you had a chance to meet Jim Shorty Kleinow, who was the former equipment manager at Kansas State, you know, yeah. a sophomore in college. He, he gave me the opportunity to, to be a student manager. And so uh, I certainly always hold Shorty in high, high regards. But uh, yeah, you know, I had an opportunity to spend a few years at Kansas State. 
then went to Florida State for a couple of years. My wife, Carrie, and I had our first child in Tallahassee. We wanted to get closer to family, get back to the Midwest, and an opportunity at Missouri opened up in the academic advising space that I was already in at, at Florida State. And, you know, we took that step, not really knowing if it would be short or long-term, but lo and behold, you know, 22 years later, we raised three kids, got them graduated from uh, Columbia, Missouri, and uh, then a really fortunate opportunity uh, came my way here at UL, and I was very, very lucky to get this position. As you know, they're hard to get. There's only so many of them. Right, right. Well, I believe that the leader has a great responsibility to continually drive the culture. And there's some great things going on with you at, at UL. And you, talking all, you talk a lot about the culture at, uh, at UL. What were the most important steps that you took when you got there in 2017 to start building the vision for this culture? Sure. You know, I think any culture, it, its foundation has to be communication. You have to be open, transparent. Uh, I always feel like that, you know, people look uh, for four things from their leaders, right? Uh, and that being in this order, trust, hope, direction and results. And I think through those four things, you know, the foundation of culture can be built. Um, you know, I knew that uh, what I was walking into at UL uh, was a special place, almost like a diamond in the rough, you know, from a, from an athletic standpoint, you know, we're in the heart of a tremendous recruiting footprint, you know, tremendous athletes, you know, are in this area. You just draw a three mile or three hour radius around Lafayette, Louisiana, and you're going to get all the recruits you probably need and in most of your sports, to be honest with you, but particularly right. in the sport of football. Um, but I also think culture, you know, begins and ends with the people that you have, you know, within your program and in your department. And I would just say with the addition of, of Billy Napier as our head football coach, he and his staff were great catalysts in really helping us as a department uh, develop that culture brand. They were the ones who came up with the little C, big U, big L, right? Uh, hashtag, and they did a great job of, of developing that and really kind of permeating that you know, throughout our whole department. But I think to your point, when I arrived, I think any leader recognizes that you do have to have a culture and how you define that culture, I think really kind of depends on the things that you want to achieve uh, and who you surround yourself with um, to help establish that culture. So I agree with you 100%, you know, leaders have to establish that. And I think, uh, I, I do think it's a work in progress to be real honest right. with you. I think cultures evolve to some degree, but I think the, the, the premise and the values of the culture that a leader aspires usually stay pretty constant. Exactly. So let, let's move to uh, really, really some different type uh, things that, that can really challenge a culture. Now, I'll, I've said this a few times that we will all remember 2020 <laughs> for a long time, right? And so there's some things, honestly, from a positive standpoint, there's some things that we've learned that we'll always appreciate. Uh, but there's been much in 2020, much uncertainty. And of course, especially in our worlds, we've had our share of adversity, which you just spoke of. How has dealing with COVID, dealing with local hurricanes, mm -hmm. and then social justice responses throughout your department, how has that made you a better leader? 
Well, Van, I would, I would even add one more um, level of adversity to that list for us. And that was the unfortunate most recent loss of an assistant football coach, DJ Looney. Right. And so you, you take the, the, the loss of a staff member and those other three things that you, you mentioned. And, you know, I, I think what it does, it, 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 teach a res, it teaches us resiliency, right? I think we, you know, we, life is full of adversity. And to your point, 2020 has given us probably a decade's worth you know, <laughs> adversity. I feel that way anyway. On, on many days I wake up and I think it's the 179th day of March, right? <laughs> because it just all kind of seems the same. But, but I think, you know, as a leader, you know, you have, you can, you can look at those challenges as obstacles or opportunities. And I think what we've done a good job down here collectively, not just me, but we have great university leadership and we have just tremendous people within our department who really kind of buy into the concept of, okay, it's not what can't we do, but how can we do what we need to do, you know, given these situations that we're facing. And so I think it's truly been a team effort for us. Uh, but uh, to your point, it's, uh, you know, it's, there's never a dull moment in 2020, it, it seems like. And, and you know this as well as I do. Our industry presents enough challenges day to day by itself, right? As you try to, you know, mentor and grow young men and women, and as you, you try to manage expectations and situations from the external side of things, to add a pandemic, the social injustice unrest that we've been experiencing as a country, uh, down here, hurricanes most recently, and then, like I mentioned, you know, loss of life. Uh, I think all those things, if, if they've taught us one thing, they've taught us that we need to lean and depend on one another to get through those, those tough times. But it's also, I would just say it, it also has taught us how to become even more resilient, you know, in what I would say is a pretty resilient-laden profession, being right. college athletics. Right. And, you know, you, you, spoke, you spoke of DJ, and, uh, you know, I've met and had relationships with a whole lot of people in this profession and you know i had an opportunity to have a relationship with him and and honestly you know there's some people in our in our world um, of athletics that no one can say a bad thing about him and he definitely was one of those people agree over the years you've had the opportunity to hire and be a part of hiring new coaches now, when hiring a new coach, what things are important to you when it comes to identifying who will be the best leader for your teams? You know, for me, Van, I, I kind of have a, a, a criteria for a candidate profile, regardless if it's a football coach, a women's soccer coach, a tennis coach, it doesn't matter. And the number one thing that I try to identify in, in the candidate to allow them to even make the list is do they have an ability, a proven ability to build positive relationships with their student athletes? Because I personally feel like if that can happen between a coach and a student athlete, regardless of the talent level of that student athlete, that type of coach can get a young man or young woman to run through the wall for them. Right. A positive relationship is there. Two, uh, I look for um, uh, relentless recruiters. You know, I'm a firm believer that recruiting is the lifeblood of the sport program success. Three, uh, I like to identify proven winners. You know, they don't have to be a previous head coach or have head coaching experience per se. And certainly at the group of five level, quite honestly, you're going to give people a first time head coaching opportunity, just like we did with Billy Napier. And so, but as long as that individual can, can demonstrate and that I can see that they have been around winning programs that do it the right way, 
and understand what it takes, you know, to, to win. Because as you know, you know, winning is hard enough. Sustaining winning is even harder. And that's, that's what we're looking to do here because, you know, I want to, I want, my goal is I don't want Louisiana to be a stepping stone. I'd really like us to be a destination location, uh, but that takes resources and facilities and things of that nature. And then finally, um, you know, the thing I look for is that they absolutely prioritize the academic success of their student athletes, right? And, and those last three aren't really in any particular order, right? Um, but the one that's at the top of my list is what I really try to identify is that ability to build positive relationships with student athletes. Which I think is, is very important. And, and as a coach, I've always, coaches who coached me put this into me and I try to put it into my players is that, listen, I can get anybody to, to play cover three on third down, mm-hmm. right? But if, but if you know, and coaches always say they don't care what you know, they want to know that you care. And so I, I try to push that to our players is that if you know that I care about you, that I would never do anything to harm you, right? That I would never allow you to do anything to harm yourself, then we're on the same page. And I think, like you just said, that's very important uh, in developing young men and, and women. Absolutely. And I think that lends itself to that, you know, that, that four, four uh, pillar approach I shared with you about what I think people truly want from leaders, all of us. And that first right. one is trust. And that's what I think you were getting at. I think when young women and young men today know that they can trust you know, their coach, I think the sky is the limit in terms of their productivity and performance. So I talked a few weeks ago with Gloria Navarez of the West Coast Conference about their new Russell Rule. And of course, the Russell Rule is a much more in-depth ruling than the well-known Rooney Rule, which is the NFL rule, and it covers, the, the Russell rule covers all leadership positions within teams. And this rule, according to Gloria, uh, is in place to be able to ensure that there's a diverse candidate pool, that that final candidate pool is diverse. There's incredible strength in diverse perspectives. What is your philosophy on hiring in that way, and what systems do you have in place to create diverse hiring within your department at University of Louisiana? Absolutely. A year ago, we developed a three-year strategic plan uh, for our athletic department. We labeled it Go Beyond, and the Go is spelled G-E-A-U-X, right? To right. Have fun with the, uh, the culture here. But, but, uh, but one of our uh, uh, goals and objectives that does center around diversity and inclusion, making sure that we do put a point of emphasis on hiring uh, and certainly um, the, the advancement and promotion from within, you know, of any minority candidates. I think, man, we must be as leaders today, we have to be intentional about doing that. <clears throat> if we're not, then the reality is I think the status quo will continue. And that is those with the most experience are probably going to get the nods and the opportunities. And it just so happens that it seems like those with the most experience tend to be people that look a lot like myself. And so we have to just make sure that we're very intentional about really searching and finding. So as an example, when often in our businesses, you know, you know, before a position is even posted, we might have an idea of who we want to hire, right? You just know people in the industry and network. But I think before that happens, we need to be as, as leaders, be very intentional about researching and tapping in to different avenues to right. identify candidates so we don't know that people who aren't on my radar 
And so, you know, whether that's working with through the Minority Coaches Association, um, you know, different minority groups, uh, incorporating the Office of Diversity and Inclusion on campus, you know, from a network standpoint, who and how can I tap in to a different network of people, right? That, so I at least look, research, and then be intentional about identifying people who I can visit with, talk to. And then finally, I would just say that, you know, it's one thing to do that. It's, it's another to make sure that you include people of color minorities in your final candidate pool. I, I just think that's imperative. One, you don't do it just to do it by no means, right? We're going to identify people who we feel are quality candidates who absolutely, at least on paper, maybe based on what we've learned about them, could do the job if given the opportunity. Um, but in addition to taking that step, no matter who your final candidates are, I think that's a fantastic experience for everybody to go through that interview process to make sure that you know they are getting the exposure that maybe they deserve, but the opportunity to go through the process because the more they do it, I think the better any of our chances are of landing that next job, you know, the more we interview. And right. so we, we're just taking an issue. One, we're making that a priority through our strategic plan. Two, we're working with um, different minority organizations to identify candidates. Three, we do work closely with human resources and our Office of Diversity and Inclusivity on campus to make sure that we're, we're just being intentional when we do have vacancies abound to make sure that we're including uh, minorities in the search process, really to the point of making sure we're also identifying people who can be final candidates you know, for that and, and go through the process in a fair way. I think that, I th that the point you made uh, initially is, is just being intentional, right? Uh, I, like I said, I always, I always stress the point that there is strength in diversity. No doubt. And you, you really have to, what you said, and, and I think is what Gloria said when we talked, is that you, you have to be intentional, you have to investigate, you have to get out of your comfort zone, and, and there are people out there, you just have to do a better job, in, in many cases, of, of doing the research. And I, and I think that that's a struggle, right? But uh, as we talked about social justice and the responses to that, this is where we are in this country and and we're going to grow when we can take those steps you know on our team we've put our guys in in different groups and different pods and and said hey listen here are the topics let's let's talk through these things these are things that may be tough for you but at the end of that discussion mm -hmm. everybody comes out with a renewed experience and with, with renewed education uh, and, I, and i just think that that's so important for us in athletics, but even in our society in, in general. Oh, without question. I think the broader our perspectives can be, the closer we can bring our country back together. I really believe that. And so, you know, um, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I do. I have, I have a certain set of blinders. And to your point about, you know, diversity, and, you know, when I look at my executive team or my senior leadership team, it would be really easy for me to identify people that look like me to sit around that table. But when I do that, I lose the perspective right. Right? because we all kind of think alike. We've got similar lived experiences. We don't really know what some other population, how they might react or feel or how this might, a decision might impact them. So I agree wholeheartedly that the, the more diverse, uh, you know, our leadership 
teams can be and our coaching staff and things of that nature. Um, I think the better we'll be from a from a communication and understanding standpoint. All right, so this one is a little bit of a gear shift. Okay. You've had a lot of roles. You've dealt with hundreds of people on a daily basis. What has been the hardest decision that mm. you've had to make during your time at UL? Well, that's a good, that's a good question. <laughs> you know, whether it was a, a decision, I don't want to disappoint your, your question here. Unfortunately, at UL, since I arrived in 2017, we have experienced the loss of life of six staff members. There for a while, we were averaging a death every three months. And I think for me, throughout a few of those, a few, not all of them, but a few of those, um, it was very challenging to identify the next person, like who's going to fill in this legendary baseball coach or fill in, who might take over this legendary equipment manager. And so I think whether it was a decision or an experience, it was just trying to, to, to get a department of people through um, in order to again, be that shoulder and, and be that symbol of strength for them while at the same time, you know, kind of going through my own grieving experience, if you will. Um, I would also, I guess, just add that, you know, I have had to go through three coaching changes here and um, those are always challenging. It's hard to, to make a change, you know, in that regard because you're impacting a lot of lives when you do that. Um, so I, I guess, you know, between, you know, some coaching changes, but really just kind of trying to help lead a department through so many deaths, you know, in a short amount of time, uh, I think in and of itself uh, created some tough decisions that we kind of had to make, or at least some, some very, um, uh, what I'm looking for, just, just some challenges, probably just the most challenging versus tough decisions, to be honest with you. Right. And, and that question, it comes up because in my role here with Coach Kleiman as the assistant head coach, I get the opportunity to, to see his life as a head coach. And when you're assistant coach, you worry about your running backs or your offensive line. And the rest of the world is not as important. But when you're the head coach, when you're the athletic director, you see it all. And so, like you alluded to earlier, your decisions, they affect lives they affect lives who don't come in the building every day and so I, I always like to know you know from a leadership standpoint what are those things that a leader struggles with he has to make those tough choices those tough calls but that's why he gets to wear the big hat you know that's right you know for me i, I don't know if um i struggle as much with making tough decisions but what i have learned by moving from the second chair to the actual chair, you know, on the administrative side, is just the uh, inundation of information, you know, that comes your way day in and day out. It's almost like information overload. And so I think, you know, not tough decisions per se, but necessary decisions center around how and who you surround yourself with. What type of organizational structure are you going to put in place that allows you to delegate you know, a lot of necessary things to people who can handle that delegation. Um, otherwise, you know, I, I think I walked into a culture that was a little bit 
of the sense that everybody, no matter it's from on campus, in the community, internally, everybody came to the AD for everything. And so it took me really up until now, almost three to four years to really, I guess, uh, embed my organizational structure, my expectations for communication, um, both on campus and within our department. So each and every day, I'm not getting bombarded by things that really other people can and should be handling. Mm -hmm. So this is my final question. I read one of your colleagues, uh, someone called you a very thorough, very thoughtful person. Where would you say, or how would you say you develop these characteristics? You know, I think we're all products of our past experiences, you know, and, and when you talk, I appreciate that, those comments, because I don't always, sometimes I question my thoroughness and my thoughtfulness, to be honest with you. Um, but, I, but I think, you know, we're products of our past experiences and, and past people in our lives, mentors, people we've worked with, I think, you know, have impacts on us. When I think back about the thoroughness piece, right, I think of Bill Snyder. I have never, to this day, met an individual who was so attentive to detail, who anticipated like he did. I mean, a lot of us good anticipators might, might think about the next three, four, five steps. You know, Bill Snyder was thinking 10, 15 steps ahead. I just, I, I remember, you know, just kind of watching him from afar. Um, another uh, gentleman who I consider a mentor and friend, Mike Alden, who was a longtime athletic director at Missouri, he's now retired. For 17 years, we worked together Another great anticipator, great educator, motivator, but someone who is always very attentive to detail. So I think, you know, just those types of people who I had the great fortune to work with and for uh, probably taught me the thoroughness aspect of it. The thoughtful piece, um, you know, I, I again, I think when you see it, you know that, that it's necessary, and you, I think you try to adopt it and embrace it. Uh, but I think I'd be the first to tell you, I, I still probably have some room to go to grow, you know, in that in that thought, thoughtfulness piece, because I think like a lot of people, I can get caught up in the busyness. I can get caught up in the stress and the rush. And maybe I don't step back enough and, and hit pause, you know, before maybe I make a decision or say something or react a certain way. But um, it, it, it uh, I find that. Uh, some great solitude and that somebody at least sees those qualities in me because sometimes like I said I don't always feel like I, I do the best in those areas but uh, the ultimate answer is I think we're, we're products of our past experiences and I think I've been very blessed to work with people who are great examples for me. Well I, I think you know I spoke about COVID earlier and I would believe that that is one of the things that that COVID blessed us with is it, it forced us at a certain time period in there to pause and it forced us to look at things and, and really find out because you know spring football uh recruiting all those things they stopped they took a back seat and and we had to pause i had to sit down and eat dinner with my family i had to sit down and talk with my sons about things that were going on in their lives and guess what during that time not much was going on in their lives <laughs> you know but but there was a moment in our lives where we where we were forced to pause like you said earlier sometimes 
it's good for us just to do that. And when we get to going again, we can't forget the things we learn in those moments. Well, Brian, I, I appreciate your time. And it was really refreshing to have the opportunity to, to speak with you. Uh, I'll definitely be pulling for your team and your department the, uh, the rest of my career. And uh, I, I look forward to one day having an opportunity to meet you in person. Absolutely. I'm grateful that you identified me to be a part of this. And uh, as a K-State alum, I just want to compliment all of you. You're making us proud. Keep up the great work. You know, I, uh, My wife was born and raised in Manhattan, Kansas. I, went, I got two degrees from there. Then I worked there for about three or four years. And so we, you know, Manhattan holds a special place in our heart. I always tell people, you have to live in Manhattan to truly appreciate it. That's uh, right. Great place to raise a family. And uh, But uh, you guys are doing a fantastic job. Congratulations on the contract extension for, for Chris. And I think you got a great leader in Gene Taylor. And uh, I think you guys are going to get that uh, program back on the track that you know, Bill Snyder built. And so really, really applaud you guys. And like you, I will be pulling for you guys just as much. Thank you. Thank you.